recording has started and uh, know that uh, it is a public forum, right? So please treat it like a public forum in the Q&A. We'll do the raise hand function and uh, know that, um, uh, you know, your uh, chief pilots are on here. I see Casey's here. Welcome, Casey. Happy to have you. Um, and uh, just know that it's probably not the right forum for venting, right? Uh, by all means, give me a call and uh, shout it out if you got to shout it out because uh, sometimes you have to, right? Um, so anyways, uh, what we're going to get into is um, reserve assignment preferencing, right? So uh, this first out, last out structure and how this works at Sun Country. Um, so contractually since December of 21, right, we've had the ability to preference our uh, reserve assignments, first out or last out, right? And this, uh, it's not just reserve, but if you pick up a day on reserve as a line holder, uh, all those kinds of things, right? So you want to be able to um, say whether you want to fly or you don't want to fly while you're on reserve, and then you're placed inside of an order of assignment uh, relative to other people as to when you're going to get work to do on that reserve day, right? Um, and it's important that we have this structure, right? Uh, for instance, just you know, a simple example is for commuters who generally don't want to just sit on reserve. They want to go fly. They don't want to have to sit in a crash bed. Don't want to have to buy a hotel, right? Um, so it's highly desirable for the commuter to know what their assignment is going to be uh, and have a report time and uh, also. Uh, generally, you're going to see those guys bidding first out because they want to go fly. And, you know, the guy who uh, lives in Minneapolis, maybe has some sort of side business that he runs or something, is trying to, uh, to not go fly, right? So uh, all things equal, so long as um, both are, you know, relatively similarly situated in terms of uh, credit and pay for the month and so on and so forth, the company uh, should be amenable to the notion that the person who doesn't want to fly should be able to stay home and the guy who does want to fly is going to go fly. And that's what this system was bargained to do, right? So uh, we have reserve assignment preferencing, uh, as noted here, Section 25M6B. And uh, it dictates how the coverage of current open time is supposed to occur, right? 25I1C, and at any time during the day, a crew scheduling shall award or assign open time reporting less than 72 hours prior to the report time of the trip using the order of assignment list in paragraph I4 below, except that open time requested in accordance with paragraph B above will be awarded prior to being assigned. So what what this paragraph is doing, right, it's saying uh, anything that's in open time, so all uncovered flying, um, no, not deadheading, but any uh, revenue generating flying uh, that is um, uncovered. And that includes like swapping one guy from one flight to the other flight, that fly needs to go through open time and be sorted via the uh, the order of assignment. So it's not necessarily easy to take flying off of one guy and put it onto another guy because while, during the time that it's uncovered, it needs to go through open time. And then as a result of going through open time, because it is uncovered, it needs to be sorted via that order of assignment. And the, the guy that you want to put it on, the second guy is not necessarily the guy who's going to get it, right? Uh, in the order of assignment. So uh, at any time during the day, crew scheduling shall award or assign open time reporting less than 72 hours. Note that 
This is only flying inside of 72 hours. Everything outside of 72 hours, crew scheduling does not have access to uh, assigning that work, okay? Um, anything that's inside of 72 hours, uh, crew scheduling has the ability to assign, but since December of 21, has to be assigned inside of this order of assignment. Uh, no more willy-nilly choosing who you want to assign, right? I have to go through this order of assignment to do that. And then inside of the order of assignment is the first out, last out uh, relative amongst other reserves, right? So um, this is the order of assignment language. Uh, what I had just read you is basically the header paragraph to this. And then note that the order is truly in order, right? So first uh, under A here, you look at uh, assign trips to a reassigned pilot at domicile or assign legs within the trip hour period pursuant to paragraph K below. Then you move on to the next person, right? Pilots on a time of availability or sort reserve trip within a trip hour period in the location where the legs originate then, right? So this is an order. Uh, you got to start at A and work your, down, work your way through down to H, right? So note that uh, A, what's happening here, reassigned pilot at domicile. This is someone whose trip canceled, right? Canceled uh, in advance, and they have a, a period or a time of availability uh, and can be assigned to flying during uh, that period of time. And there's a specific rule about how and when those people can be assigned, right? The other rules that govern uh, what happens in A, uh, but know that they are the first people to uh, be assigned, and if a trip is in open time and can fit on them, uh, the company has the ability to recover that productivity that's lost through the cancellation uh, through A. Note that those people aren't on reserve, it is just simply an order of assignment, right? You have a trip in the uh, open time pool, it needs to be distributed to somebody. You're looking at giving that trip, assigning that trip to someone, right? And the place, the first place that you stop is someone who's had a cancellation. Um, then you go on to uh, B, pilots on a time of availability trip or a sort trip, right? So these are uh, time of availability um, is kind of our, you know, out of domicile reserve structure, right? So you're um, we haven't seen the company use much of this. This was a, a central point of um, standby. I'm going to try and find uh, whose line is uh, is open there and do some muting. That should help, eh? Uh, all right. Back to the slideshow. Again, sorry, I'm the host and the administrator and running the whole thing, so uh, a little sloppier than usual, right? Um, all right, so B, pilots on time of availability or sort trips uh, within the trip hour period in the location where the legs originate. Note that there's supposed to be two open time pools, right? There's supposed to be uh, open time for trips and there's supposed to be open time for legs, and the legs uh, are assigned here in A and B, right? Um, but not necessarily in C, D, and E because these people need to be already within a trip hour period. That's how you assign legs. Then you get down to C and we get to the reserve pilots, right? And this is the stuff that uh, that we're concerned with today. 
in terms of where you sit in the reserve order of assignment, and then uh, the FOLO, or first out, last out, expressions of whether you want to be the first to fly or the last to fly inside of C and D here, right? Then you'll see management pilots in accordance with section uh, 10A3, right? So um, if you've exhausted all of the reserves and you can't assign any of these trips to a reserve, move on to a management pilot, um, and there's specific rules in section 10 that govern that. Uh, training pilots who have volunteered, right? So um, if you've exhausted all of the people on uh, in A and B, right, all of the reserves, all of the management pilots, now you can get down to a training pilot. Uh, and that's the first time that you see a training pilot uh, having any ability to pick up anything or have anything assigned to them. Note that there is no ability uh, or other uh, avenue mechanism uh, under which a training pilot would add um, open time. That's only here in F, right? Uh, the training pilots have access to the entirety of their uncovered training events pool, um, and they have the ability to uh, have flying assigned out of the open time pool only after A, a through E have been exhausted, right? Um, and that essentially the idea here is save someone from being junior assigned, right? So uh, save the forced work assignment, have the training pilot fly who wants to fly before you force the work assignment onto somebody, right? So uh, then you get down into G and H and you look at the junior available pilot and category within the domicile. Um, and if you've burned everyone in the domicile, then you look outside of the domicile. Uh, to other uh, junior available pilots, right? So this is the order of assignment. It's different from FOLO, um, and it dictates that the trips which come out of open time, um, and then remember, open time is all uncovered flying. Anything that's on staff for any reason at all, ad hoc charter that comes in, a uh, trip or a leg is removed from a pilot, um, anything at all, right? Uh, anytime that it, uh, flying is uncovered, it is dealt with through the order of assignment. Note where the reserves sit inside of that order of assignment. And we're going to talk more about FOLO as we move on, right? So uh, reserve assignment preferencing, right? So the first out, last out preference, as I said, a subset of the order of assignment. Uh, pilot has to submit those preferences in OMS or ECRU with their monthly bid. Um, and then have the uh, gives the pilot the ability to exercise seniority relative to other uh, reserve line holders, right? Uh, use your seniority to say, I want to fly. And what is uh, similarly situated? So similarly situated means you have the same reserve period, AM, PM, red eye, uh, and the same amount of days remaining, right? Uh, days on reserve, right? So if you have uh, two guys, they're both AM, and uh, one guy has three days remaining and one has four days remaining, they are not similarly situated. Um, they are uh, different, right? Because they have different days remaining. Uh, exceptions for specific circumstances. There are several different exceptions. Uh, I think the, the first one, the most important one, probably has to do with OE and consolidation of skills, right? Uh, so, um, Flying should be going to people who uh, need to consolidate prior to being sorted through the order of assignment, right? So 
Uh, assignment preferences, a reserve pilot may indicate a preference for being placed on a first out or last out status for the month. Note that the status is for the entire bid month. There's no way to manipulate that through the course of the month or sharpshoot specific trips that happen to end up in open time, right? Um, so there's no way to change that desire uh, to go fly or be first out or last out based on the day or the trip, right? Um, maybe at some point this company can automate to the point that it can handle something like that. But uh, where we were at in December of 21, and I don't think our tech situation has improved dramatically, um, there just simply was no way to uh, be able to tune that up to that degree where we could change um, status, uh, first out or last out status uh, by by the minute or in real time. Um, so note what can't happen here, right, is calling up crew scheduling to change your status and indicate that you want to be assigned or not assigned flying out of seniority order, right? Um, uh, that order of assignment has to happen in accordance with the book and uh, there is no way to short circuit that, right? So a, a pilot who, um, let's say, is bidding first out and another guy who's bidding last out and the last out guy goes, man, I'd really like to go fly today so I don't have to pay for this hotel tonight, calls up crew scheduling and says, hey, I wanna go fly, can I be first in the order of assignment? And circumnavigates the more senior similarly situated pilot who bid first out, right? Um, by doing that, by calling crew scheduling and asking for you know a specific trip out of open time. The guy who bids first out now watches that trip get assigned to someone who bid last out and has a claim uh, to that work. Uh, it can file a, a grievance and say, I should have been assigned in the order of assignment. That three days should have been mine. Uh, I should now be removed from the reserve pool and paid for that trip, right? Um, if uh, someone is circumnavigating the reserve assignment, uh, certainly other people are harmed and harmed financially, and they do have uh, the recourse uh, for that harm through the grievance process. Uh, so the assignment preferencing, uh, 25M6B2, right? First out means a pilot will be utilized subject to any restrictions within section M6. Uh, and that's basically duty type restrictions, right? Uh, before all other similarly situated reserves for flying assignments. Last out means the pilot will be utilized after all other similarly situated reserve pilots. Preferences will be honored by seniority, right? So uh, similarly situated uh, means the number of days remaining and reserve AMPM red eye, as I said earlier, right? So, um, uh, and then you look at seniority uh, inside of there. So the most senior to the most junior to the most senior pilot has his preferences honored uh, before the junior pilot, right? Uh, so if you take a look at, you know, four pilots who are similarly situated, so they have the same number of days remaining, uh, the fourth through the seventh, and the most junior uh, and most senior pilot bid first out, and the other pilots bid last out, so three identical flying assignments become available. 
you're gonna you're gonna look at assigning three different trips. They're absolutely identical in every way, right? Make the, make the question uh, simple to understand here. What we're trying to understand is that the most senior first out pilot, he's gonna get assigned first, right? So you see uh, one in parens, right? Then you're gonna go to the next first out pilot, which is the least senior guy. He's gonna get assigned next, right? Um, because he bids first out, right? So you look at the first out in seniority order, then inverse seniority order within first out, and uh, you're going to take a look at the last out guys, and both these guys in the middle are bidding uh, last out, so their seniority is um, you know middling to the other two pilots, and the third trip is going to go to the last out pilot, right? The most senior one avoids the work assignment. And the uh, third most senior guy here is going to get assigned that trip. So that's what the preferencing is doing um, and basically uh, sorting out, you know, within first out, who was going to go fly? And then within last out, who's going to go fly in inverse seniority, right? All right. So uh, a pilot shall indicate his first out, last out preference with the initial bid process electronically via OMS. So not via, you know, email or, uh, you know, like passenger pigeon or uh, leaving uh, faxes on a fax machine somewhere. Uh, it needs to be done through, uh, through ECRIT, right? Uh, a pilot may list one preference for AM reserve times, one preference for PM, and one preference for red-eye trips electronically via OMS at the time of the initial bid. Now, the reason for this is you may have a, a different desire based on uh, you know your body clock and when you want to work and how you're comfortable with uh, getting work, right? Um, uh, for me, right, uh, I would bid last out on red eyes just simply because it's tiring and exhausting and it wipes me out for days, right? Um, likewise, AM is not my preference. I'd bid last out. PM, that's my stuff, right? That's where my body clock works well. I'd bid first out uh, and exercise my seniority for first out for PM reserve time trips, right? Um, this way you get to have a different uh, preference for each reserve time. Um, again, you preference that through OMS. So what happens if I'm not listed in the monthly bid pack if I return to work from medical leave um, or complete OEE? Can I still exercise my seniority preference? Yes, absolutely. Uh, there is uh, language that governs this. Uh, so a pilot who a pilot disqualified from bidding a line pursuant to 25B3 shall indicate his preference upon bidding his line pursuant to 25B3B or 25B3C. Um, and when you have uh, flying, say you come back from a medical leave and you uh, are um, getting a line uh, under 25B3, whether that's B or C, right? It has to do with whether you have a prorated guarantee for the month, and there's a whole bunch of other technicalities involved in that. But if you're coming back to work through that path, you should ask for the ability to note your preference for FOLO. Um, and if you're not, you should file a pilot issue form, right? If you're not given that option uh, or refused that option, which is, uh, has happened. Uh, what happens if I do not indicate a preference in the monthly bid via OMS, right? So you just simply got lazy, didn't check a box uh, or just don't care, right? Uh, so a reserve pilot who does not indicate a preference shall be deemed to have preferenced first out status, right? 
uh, a regular pilot on reserve time who does not indicate a preference shall be deemed to have preference last out. So um, kind of these are the defaults, right? The system needs somewhere to default to. The idea was that uh, this is going to be an automated system and have very little human intervention. Uh, so the automated system should look at the person with the uh, least amount of productivity remaining and then within their uh, FOLO preferences order, uh, you know, uh, assign trips uh, in order. And uh, so you need a kind of a, a defined preference uh, for people who don't indicate something, right? So a reserve uh, will default to first out. A regular pilot who has a cancellation who ends up on, uh, or let's say actually adds, a uh, better example is adds a reserve day um, and hasn't indicated a preference will be uh, preferenced last out. The idea is you're picking up a reserve day, you probably are trying to get the money and not uh, not work. So you, you bid last out as a, as a default. Um, and the reserve pilot who doesn't indicate a preference, uh, the assumption here is that uh, you're going to want to work. So uh, you bid first out unless you actively bid uh, last out, right? Uh, which helps, I think, the people who uh, do bid last out on reserve so that, um, you know, if you've actively preferenced to not work, uh, a person who hasn't preferenced anything is going to go fly before you and that protects your status as last out. Uh, so those are the defaults anyways. Um, let's take a look here. So uh, will my preferences still be honored if the assignment would cause a conflict with FAA or contractual flight and duty limits. Uh, so no, right? Uh, you're basically what this is is it says that you're not going to be able to be awarded something and pay protected for it uh, just because the order of assignment says it should have been awarded to you, even though you have uh, an FAA, uh, an FAR uh, conflict, 117 rest conflict, right? You need to be eligible for the assignment um, under. Um, 117 and uh, all, as well as the contractual rest limitations in order to have your um, first out and last out preferences honored, right? Otherwise, they're going to move to someone who is legal for the trip, right? Uh, so reserve assignment preferencing 25M6B7, uh, except as provided in paragraphs uh, C7 through C10 below, first out, last out preferences will be honored if the pilot's remaining days of availability are the same, right? So remaining days of availability, as I said earlier, determines uh, similarly situated. And then we have uh, a list of exceptions to this, right? Uh, so days off prior to reserve time. Uh, so on your days off, uh, let's say you have uh, two days off and then a five-day stretch of reserve. Um, because you are not contactable on your days off, uh, and they're trying to uh, assign a trip, they should be looking at the order of assignment. Note you is off and you should not be in that uh, ordered preference, right? Um, this also plays in, I think, significantly to our case uh, coming up with our FOLO arbitration, right? Because we're not getting enough information in that FOLO um, uh, report to determine who was on reserve or off uh, or not on reserve on days off, right? So you should be able to see um, all of the reserves in their situation on every uh, and any day. 
Um, that is contractually requires part of the FOLO uh, language. And if you don't see who is off on that day, uh, you don't know that they should not have been assigned a trip, right? So their status uh, of reserve uh, should be delineated in that FOLO, um, uh, uh, let's say, award log, right? Uh, or reserve award log. So uh, the reserve uh, days off prior to reserve time, you're not included in the preferencing, uh, projected accrual of credit in the bid month, right? So um, there's a limiter. Uh, so and this protects the company from, you know, one guy bidding first out and crediting 120 hours while uh, the guy who bids last out credits 20, right? And so it's a leveler. Uh, in order to make the mechanism work and uh, fill up uh, uh, the reserves uh, time, right? Uh, consolidation of knowledge and skills, as I said, is one exception uh, to the reserve assignment preferencing. So uh, if you haven't consolidated, uh, you're unable to bid last out and avoid, um, avoid flying, right? You're going to go fly. And then contractual or FAR limits. So this has to do with rest rules in part 117. Right, so you're not going to be able to bid into conflict using FOLO and assignment requiring uh, special qualifications, so ETOPS and special theater. Um, and, and essentially how that works is they're supposed to get you um, a training pilot if they can. Uh, if they can't, uh, they move on to the next person in the order of assignment who wouldn't been eligible. Right, But they're supposed to reach out to the training department and try to find someone to train you on that trip if you are say expired from etops or not qualified to go into jackson hole right all right so uh just taking a look at an example in what um you know similarly situated is and how this works right so uh this is a uh, just a, a little graphic along with uh, the example copied and pasted out of the book right so if pilot a so the first uh uh, row here um, is scheduled to be on reserve on the 4th through the 7th. So you see the dates across the top, 4 through 7. Uh, pilot B is scheduled to be on reserve the 3rd back here, right? Uh, five days remaining, 4, 3, 2, 1, across that row. Uh, so on reserve the 3rd through the 7th. And pilot C is scheduled to be on reserve uh, the 6th and 7th. So just uh, two days and one day of remaining availability. Um, preferences would be honored by seniority on the 4th through the 7th for pilots A and B. Look, because they're similarly situated, right? That dark blue box. And among all three pilots on the 6th and the 7th, right? So on the 6th and the 7th, all of them are similarly situated. So you see everyone uh, on the 6th uh, of the month has two days of availability on the seventh one day of availability, right? So um, this is the just basically a graphic of how similarly situated works, right? So if crew scheduling is trying to um, way back on the first, right? They're looking to assign a uh, a five day trip that starts on the third. You know, pilot B is going to be the one who gets that, whether they bid first out or last out, because that has, you know, five days of remaining availability. The other two people are off. So pilot B is uh, is going to take the bullet that day and then uh, be assigned and then be removed from uh, the order of assignment and the photo. Right. But they're going to show on the reserve assignment log that they were assigned. Uh, so pilots A and B 
right? When they're looking at trips on the 4th, they're going to know that pilot B was assigned a trip and is no longer uh, eligible in the order of assignment, right? Um, now, if you're looking at a two-day, let's say, you know, back somewhere on the 4th, uh, the company is looking to assign a two-day trip uh, that has a report time on the 6th. They're going to be looking at all three pilots, right? Because they all have the same amount of rema remaining days on the sixth. They all are similarly situated. All right. Um, moving on to the next example here, right? So um, using the same kind of rubric, right? So uh, same days of availability, right? Uh, preferences will be honored uh, by seniority on the fourth, uh, fourth or the seventh, as I said. Uh, for pilots A and B, and among all three pilots on the 6th and 7th. So, uh, again, you're looking at a two-day trip, leaves on the 6th, you're looking at all three pilots. It's, uh, all right, so days off prior to reserve time. Um, this is fairly important to understand kind of how uh, the notion of not being available uh plays into that order of assignment, right? You need to be on reserve time and be able to be called. And what this does is it stops the uh, the phishing that we used to see. What we used to see is a lot of um, a lot of assignments on days off that would sit on people's schedules with the hopes that they would notify for that trip, right? Uh, so the problem there is you know, we would have trips that crew schedule would just forget they left on somebody. Um, and in a, you know, real-time reserve world, that trip would be pulled out of open time and, like, assigned to someone who hasn't notified yet, right? So there's kind of no way to continue to do that, and this language was designed to um, stop that from happening, right? So because he has no obligation to be available for contact, a pilot who is on a day off prior to starting reserve time will not be considered in determining the relative seniority of the pilots on reserve time for the following day for any trips with a report time earlier than his scheduled reserve time, uh, reserve start time plus the respective report time of his reserve period, right? So um, and what this does, right, the pilot may choose to not return a call from crew scheduling while off duty. You're under no obligation if you're off duty, you know, on an off day or, uh, your reserve time for the day hasn't started. You do not need to return a call to crew scheduling, right? Um, uh, this exception accommodates the pilot who chooses to be available for contact at the time the reserve time period starts uh, and also allows for operational reliability and the crew scheduling knows the pilot will be available at the report time. Uh, so, um, how this is supposed to work, right? Let's say you have an 11 o'clock start time uh, to your reserve period on day one. Uh, you're not supposed to be in the order of assignment on your days off. And because the earliest you can show uh, would be one o'clock, the earliest report time that you would be assigned uh, is something that uh, at one o'clock or later, right? Um, otherwise, you're not in the order of assignment, and a pilot who have, would have otherwise been assigned as, again, a claim for a misawarded trip, right? Uh, so the guys who are on reserve should be watching the FOLO report and the reserve assignment report and looking at the two and be able to uh, adequately uh, sleuth out whether or not they should have been assigned. And when they see somebody else 
assigned a trip that they otherwise should have been assigned, um, they do have a, a right and a claim to uh, the misaward of that trip. In which case, uh, typically the person who flew it gets paid and the person who didn't fly it gets paid, right? There's financial harm there uh, to not getting awarded that trip. So days off prior to reserve time, for example, the pilot on a PM reserve time period uh, begins his uh, day one stretch reserve at 11. The trip has a two hour report time and reports at uh, 1135. So in this instance, the pilot is uh, not considered to be available in the order of assignment for that trip assignment. And the earliest trip that the pilot is available for is a one o'clock report, as I said, right? The trip must be assigned to another available pilot in the order of assignment in accordance with their FOLO preference. Um, they need to be looking uh, at people who are actually available, who can be called and are obligated to answer the phone uh, and have a call out time. So um, another one of the uh, exceptions to the order of assignment, right, this projected accrual for credit in a bid month, uh, and this is that leveler that I was talking about. So the company will not be required to assign flying in accordance with a, pilot, a reserve pilot's preferences if that assignment will cause the reserve pilot's projected credit to exceed 65 hours, right? So um, once a reserve pilot is accrued an actual total of 65 hours or more, note that's an actual total, right? Uh, the company may elect to assign flying to another reserve pilot who is anticipated to have uh, actually accrued less than 65 total credit hours, but must honor the preferences of those pilots with less than 65 total credit hours in accordance with 25M3 above, right? So um, you look at a guy who bids first out, he's the most senior, they're all similarly situated, but he has 66 hours of total actual credit for the month already. You set him aside, you look at the other people, okay? Uh, and what that does is it levels out the credit, right? So you're going to look at the people who have less than 65 and award them. Now, note that that's not projected, right? It's actual credit. Um, if it was projected, you'd be looking at, uh, say, um, everyone similarly situated. One guy, the most senior with a first out preference, has 64 hours of actual credit. He'd be included in uh, in that order of assignment, right? Because he has uh, 64 actual hours. Um, some of these systems, um, FOLO systems in the industry will look at projected credits. So look at that guy at 64 hours and they'll say, hey, this trip I'm about to sign is, you know, 20 hours. That's going to bring this guy to, uh, you know, 84 hours. Um, I'm going to move on in the order of assignment uh, to find someone whose projected credit is going to be below 65. That is not how our system works. It's actual credit. Okay. Uh, note the consolidation of knowledge and skills, right? So um, when the company's looking at assigning uh, open time, they do have the ability to look at the person who has not consolidated and assign them the open time first, okay? Um, which is what they should be doing to get people out of the pipeline, right? Uh, at least part of what they should be doing. Um, contractual or FAR 117 limits. Again, this is uh, limitations based on part, uh, part 117 or uh, section 12 and 25. So 12 is uh, rest rules, right, um, duty rules, and then 25 uh, has its own set of 
little bits here and there as to, to duty as well. So uh, Section 1225 or FAR 117, right? So when considering a trip assignment, the company shall not honor a pilot's preferences as elected pursuant to paragraph M5B above if the trip would cause him to exceed the more restrictive of any of the limitations in Sections 1225 or FAR 117, right? So uh, a trip with seven and a half um uh, seven hours and 30 minutes of duty is to be assigned to a reserve pilot. Pilot A is on AM reserve time with seven hours of available duty. Pilot B is on reserve on PM reserve with 13 hours of available duty. Both pilots have preferenced uh, first out, right? So you're in different reserve silos. You're both preferencing first out. Pilot A is senior to pilot B. Because the trip would cause uh, pilot A to exceed the daily duty limits, Right, he will not be assigned the trip, and the trip is assigned to pilot B. Right, the pilot who has enough uh, duty left on their schedule uh, without incurring uh, a violation of the contract or the FAR. Um, this is uh, the exception for uh, special qualifications, right? So when a particular trip requires a pilot to possess special qualifications to operate a flight within that trip, so ETOP, special theater, uh, right? Um, uh, but the next pilot in the order of assignment does not possess such qualifications, the company will first contact the training department to see if a qualified pilot is available to train the pilot to operate the flight as scheduled. If a qualified pilot is not available, the company may bypass the non-qualified pilot and assign it to the first qualified pilot, right? So uh, the company needs to train the pilot for the operation if possible, right? So you bid first out, you're available, um, they're trying to put a five-day trip on you, you have five days of reserve, uh, and it's an ETROPS trip to Hawaii, and you're not ETOPS uh, current and qualified, um, they need to reach out to the training department, see if they can find a line check airman to put in the seat and have you fly that trip. If they can't find a line check airman, there's just no availability, no line check airman are working on, you know, day three of that five day trip. Uh, they don't have anybody who has five days of availability, right? Or they put it in uncovered training events and nobody picks up a five day trip. Um, uh, then uh, they can move on to the next pilot, right? So um, generally for the line check airmen, right, there's going to be one leg uh, out to Hawaii. They're probably going to build that thing as like a two two or three-day trip, but it can uncover a training event for the, the line check pilot, right, uh, to go out and do a leg with you out to Hawaii. Uh, but that's what they're required to do, try to keep you current and qualified, right? Um, so if you're seeing ETOPS trips that you want to fly and you're not qualified, and uh, you should have been assigned to the trip, um, you should ask whether they have actually reached out to the training department and tried to uh, post something and uncover training events to make that available uh, to you, right? Uh, reserve time silos. So uh, this deals basically with like um, AM and PM requirements, right? So uh, crew scheduling shall assign trips to reserve pilots within reserve types AMPM red eye on reserve time in the following manner, subject to contractual flight and duty limitations and any applicable FAR limitations, right? So, uh, and then it says at the company's discretion to any pilot on reserve time who requires trips for consolidation of knowledge, line checks, or currency. Um, that is the first um, bit here in uh, the order of assignment, right? 
reserve time silos, right? So what you'll see over the next three slides uh, is 14 long call, and that's the first person to get assigned uh, who's on reserve, right? These people here, these really are, this is the first person in the, in the, um, in the FOLO, right? So uh, assigned to people who need to consolidate. Then we get into 14 long call, right? So presumably you're looking at people with uh, large chunks of time first, right? Um, and a long call out. So you're calling well in advance to assign this, this trip to a, a 14 long call. Then you go to the AMs and then you go to PMs, red eyes, right? And the people who are available. Note that these are all essentially the same. Deals with first out and seniority order amongst AM reserves whose schedule contains the same number of available days. So similarly situated, right? Same number of days as the day of the assignment. Um, and then you'd, after that, you'd look at who has um, more days than the number of days of the assignment, right? Um, uh, as you move through that, that order. Note when you get to here, this is basically what this breaks down to, right? You're just gonna look at AM. The first step is you're gonna look at the first out and seniority order equal to the trip length, right? Then you're gonna look step two at other AMs, last out inverse seniority equal to the trip length. Then uh, you're gonna look step three at AM's first out seniority order one day greater than the trip length, right? Step four, AM, last out, inverse seniority order, and greater than the trip length, right? So um, the general rubric here is to try to uh, assign flying to people with the same amount of days. And then inside of those same amount of days, you look at their first out and last out preferences in uh, seniority order, then inverse seniority order, right? And then... Um, you're trying to assign a four day, you're going to look at people with five days of availability on reserve if you don't have anybody with four days of availability. So the next thing you do is go to the people with greater trip length limits, right? All right. And the whole idea is, there is to just be efficient, right? Um, you, you want to use the people with the least amount of productivity first before you use people who have uh, more productivity. You don't want to burn your five day availability guy on a four day trip. Uh, and then find the next trip that uh, that is open as a five-day trip, right? So you keep using the people with the least amount of availability to fly the shorter trips, right? Makes sense. Um, what happens when an AM reserve and a PM reserve are both eligible, both available and eligible, right? So um, here we come to uh, a little bit of a conflict. The company position is that the AM or PM reserve is assigned in the silo of 14 long call AM, PM or reserve. Uh, trip eligibility is only determined relative to the other reserves on that reserve time period, and the company chooses uh, which resource to use regardless of seniority, right? Um, that doesn't fit with the language, uh, right? The language is all based on seniority, and uh, the alpha position is simply that seniority determines between the two otherwise eligible pilots. Uh, and that's a, a general rubric through this contract and uh, almost every other labor agreement that's out there, right? Um, very, very narrow example here that we're talking about where an AM and a PM both have uh, availability at the same time and they both be eligible because the trip is short enough. Who do you give it to, right? This is kind of the O'Hare turn. 
um, where both the AM and the PM have eligibility uh, where that could legally fit on them. Very narrow. Um, and unlikely, given our flying patterns, that that conflict emerges. And I don't think we filed on it yet simply because we haven't seen the conflict emerge. Um, the company will document reserve assignments by maintaining a log, which will show. Right. So this right here, this language is uh, the language that is the focus of the arbitration um, coming up at the beginning of September. And it's uh, it's necessary that we uh, follow up on this particular issue because uh, all of the reserve assignments are likely um, uh, not legal unless this log is um, being published and is clear and open and transparent, right? Uh, it's impossible. What was bargained for was the ability for the pilot to determine whether or not he should be assigned a trip. Uh, plain and simple, right? This reserve assignment log uh, would give you the availability to know who's on reserve and as a result, know whether you are uh, assigned or not assigned, who was assigned what trip. And because you can see they were assigned, you know your position relative to them in the FOLO uh, and should be able to determine whether or not you were should have been assigned that trip, right? Uh, so the company will document reserve assignments by maintaining a log which will show all pilots on reserve each day, all right? So uh, to me, that's everyone who's on reserve every day all month long, right? Um, all pilots on reserve each day, their numbered position showing relative seniority, requirement for consolidation and accrued credit for the month, right? So notice this is the exceptions, right? Um, uh, do you have a requirement for consolidation? Do you have a... Uh, what is your accrued credit, right? Are you eligible? This is that 64 hour guy, right? Looking uh, at the projected credit versus the actual accrued credit for the month, right? Um, are you still in the order of assignment? Or are you not in the order of assignment? Uh, and you should be able to determine whether or not uh, the guy is eligible or not eligible, another pilot who are, you're similarly situated to with, you know, say you're both on AM and you both have uh, the same amount of days remaining, right? Uh, is that pilot at 66 hours and now not in the order of assignment and you're at 64 and you should be assigned, right? You should be able to tell that from this report, right? So all pilots on reserve each day, right? Um, their relative duty schedule, including each pilot's reserve time period. So what are you on? AM, PM, red eye. And what time did that start? Right. Some of your, your AMP and red eyes can be truncated on the front. Right. Of course, uh, the way that this contract works, your uh, duty day as a reservist starts from the originally scheduled AM uh, PM time. So 3 AM, 11 AM. Right. Um, but you may have had a trip that impinged on that time and started uh, your reserve time might have started later as a result of that. And this document, right, this reserve assignment log should show that delay occurred and show that you're on AM, but your start time for the day is, you know, 1237, right? Um, and first out, last out preferences, uh, continuing eligibility preference, right? So, um, 
what your preference is, right? Your desire to you know fly first or fly last, and then this continuing eligibility preference should be part of this, right? Uh, so what we negotiated for, there's language that allows you to stay in the order of assignment if you're a commuter, uh, preference to remain in that order of assignment so that when your trip ends, if you could legally fit the next chunk of flying onto your schedule, um, you know, say you started your day as a reservist with an O'Hare turn and you want to remain in that order of assignment, hoping that you're going to, you know, get assigned a, a leg out to Denver, right, uh, for an overnight um, instead of being completely removed from the order of assignment, knowing that you're going to, you know, come back from O'Hare and be saddled with a night in a hotel that night, you could remain in the order of assignment uh, for eligible trips. So if you didn't run into a 117 issue, a Section 12 duty rest issue, and you could fly, you have the option to remain in the order of assignment um, that was bargained for and needs to show in the reserve assignment log. Uh, so that you can determine whether your FOLO rights are uh, being uh, respected, right? So trip assignments and the time at which each pilot was notified of the assignment and the employee number of the scheduler who made the assignment. So you should see every trip assignment, right? M0046 was assigned at 135 to, you know, whoever uh, the pilot is and the scheduler who made the assignment. Um, so we can see if there's schedulers who are favoring specific pilots and circumnavigating the order. That's one part of that, right? Um, but you're also supposed to see who was on reserve and who is now not on reserve as a result of an assignment. You should be able to look at that assignment and determine and go, hey, look, he, he bid last out. I was available. I had the same amount of days remaining. Why did Why was this person assigned this trip? Um, and I wasn't, right? I should have been assigned. Uh, you should have the ability through this reserve assignment law to determine uh, whether or not you were the pilot who was uh, to be assigned that trip, right? One through four should be enough information. If it's not, any other information uh, should be made available, right? Um, so with that, uh, also uh, this copy of this log is supposed to be OMS published. That's in eCrew, not via email. Right, but in eCrew, uh, actually both OMS published is published on eCrew and emailed to the pilots, right? But OMS published is is a higher bar than just randomly published or you know posted on a noteboard somewhere. Uh, so a copy of the log will be OMS published to the pilot group three times daily in a mutually agreeable and legible format. Right, this is to say uh, you should be able to read the trip assignments of the other people, not scribbled in in, in pencil, um, but you know typed in in a legible format at the beginning of each reserve period, AM, PM, and red eye, right? What that is, is that's a, uh, a way of getting by until we can get to real time, right? What we bargained for is real time publication of this reserve assignment log. Uh, the reserve assignment log shall be OMS published when it becomes feasible to provide the pilots with this log in a real time software environment. The, the parties will meet and agree on changes to this provision. Additionally, the log will be provided to the MEC chairman upon his request, right? So 
they should be publishing this log in real time. As someone gets assigned, it should show in the, the assignment log that they have been assigned uh, and that they've been removed from the order of assignment. The hobbled version of this comes out three times a day at the beginning of the reserve periods, right? Um, and truly, what was uh, what was bargained for is transparency and the ability to self-police your assignments, right? Um, without that ability, the real-time uh, open time is uh, not as strong and not as viable. Um, and it's also impossible to know whether your earnings opportunities are being given to someone else. Um, so it's part of a system that uh, provides reliability and transparency and uh, resolves a longstanding issue on this property uh, regarding the hiding of ad hoc charter and the assignment of ad hoc charter to pilots uh, who, uh, let's say, called crew scheduling uh, and made, uh, you know, backroom deals. Right. This stuff is supposed to be transparent. We're supposed to be all be eligible uh, for these assignments. Right. Uh, so anyways, next week, um, Katie's going to cover some PBS topics, uh, bidding parameters for PBS. Uh, really suggest uh, all of you, as many people as possible, tune in and start listening to this stuff so you understand how you bid and start to wrap your head around what the system is and what it does, right? Um, as well as just general uh, function of the bidding portal. Uh, so what it looks like and, and how you use that that portal to bid your, uh, your flying for the month, right? Two weeks out, uh, we'll go back to uh, scheduling issues. Um, and I'm going to talk about CATS, which is commuter accessible trips, long trips, right, which was the uh, pre-bid, a long trip bid that we uh, did as an experiment to see if it works, right, uh, as well as versions of positive space commuting and basing, um, as well as a pretty lengthy conversation on why uh, we need to negotiate long trips now. Uh, long trips uh, is... It is cats. It is what is uh, commuter accessible, right? And our version of long trips um, has the five and six day trips being sorted in that pre-bid so that they're not forced on pilots uh, via the PBS bid, uh, the short trip bid, right? Um, this is the crux of the upgrade problem as well. And if the company wants to solve their upgrade problem, they need to look at how long trips are bid. Their notion of uh, CATS is that long trips are going to be put into the PBS system and sorted via PBS. That means if you are a junior uh, and you can't avoid them by using an avoid function, that you are going to get assigned those trips. Uh, under this book, currently as it's constructed, the company can bid uh, or can build long trips that start and end in Minneapolis. And those trips are going to be sorted via PBS and forced onto pilots, right? And as far as the company's view of long trips, right, they have, you know, let's say 60 bidders that are showing they want to work for 12 days in a row. And their argument to us is, well, let's just put these into PBS and not let the, let the computer sort them out, which means that some significant part of this pilot group who does not want to work a 12-day trip is going to have that forced on them. Um, the nuance here being that the company is an understanding that uh, assignments that are preferenced and desired by the pilot 
um, lead to happiness and forced work assignments. You know, being junior and having a, a 12 or a 14 day trip forced on you through PBS is going to lead to a massive spike in attrition. Um, that seems to be lost on uh, the conversation here. And um, additionally, the notion is that uh, the, at least the company's notion of commuter accessible trips would um, split the pilot group apart into two bidding groups, right? At that point, why not just open bases? Because we're going to suffer all the same consequences of having a smaller bidding pool uh, and less trips to bid on in that ever smaller bidding pool for an already small airline, right? Which is going to have a disproportionately large uh, decrease in the quality of schedules, believe it or not. They're going to get it worse. Um, and their other notion here is that you're going to take a two-day trip and tack two-day uh, tech travel days onto that somehow. And no one can answer how this magic happens, uh, nor uh, make it uh, square with 117 requirements that you're on duty if you're getting paid by the company. So uh, they owe you a min-day, even uh, if there was going to be some kind of travel day notion. Um, so you're going to get paid on that day, right? And from a commuter perspective, oh, yeah, split me off so I'm, uh, I have access to those trips and then pay me for the travel that I'm already doing. Sounds great. But think it through in a PBS context because you're going to have two and three day trips as a commuter. Your two day is going to become a four day. Your three day is going to become a five day. Right. That's untenable. So when you're hearing things like work from home, know what that is. I'm going to talk about that at length uh, two weeks from now. Break that out so everyone knows exactly what's being spun and understands uh, what's at risk, as well as some of the upsides. Right. Um, uh, to having a, a long trip pre-bid where five, six uh, day trips, anything longer than say four days is getting bid out into these uh, long trip constructs. Travel days are added to the front and the end. So your 12 day trip becomes a 14 day trip that instead of crediting 85 hours or 84 hours now credits 94 or 95. Sounds great. Right. That way, the people who get the long trips want the long trips, get those people who want short trips and participate in the short bid, get those. And the trips are simply as we did in the experimental long trips period, uh, chop up whatever left is left on bid and put that into the short trips. Incredible amount of happiness. Um, people who want to work that way can work that way. Uh, people who don't aren't going to be subject anymore to five and six day trips. And I think you resolve your, your captain upgrade problem largely with that, right? Um, so anyways, I'll dig into that more deeply in two weeks. Um, let's do a little Q&A. Uh, anything you guys want to know uh, about um, uh, issues related to um, First out, last out, commuting. Um, let's let's go ahead and dig into anything you guys have. Uh, if you could use the uh, the raise hand function, that would be uh, desirable. Um, and I will do my best to uh, try and moderate this call while I'm uh, talking as well. So um, go ahead and uh, use the raise hand function if you want to discuss anything. First out, last out, FOLO. Yeah, all right. I got a hand up from uh, from Scott. Go ahead, Scott. Uh, you have the floor. You are muted right now. Hey, um, 
I guess, I guess it's just overall uh, reserve tenability and quality of life stuff. Um, yeah. I just got back. I just got back from uh, the town hall meeting, and um, I'm just trying to get more information from from your guys' side of things with negotiating um, better quality of life, better opportunities to upgrade, and stuff like that. Greg had said that he wanted to offer 15 days off minimum for reserve lines, 75 hour minimum credit and pick up on your days off on reserve for both captain and FOs that came out of his mouth. And I was like, okay, so I just wanted to know if that is from your end, if there's anything more to that story, that's all my question is. Um, I mean, other than him not talking to us about it, talking to the negotiating committee specifically about it, and then negotiating in public about it? No. I, I mean, I, sure, let's do more more days off for reserves. Does that solve the captain upgrade problem? I don't know. I just wanted to know if that was uh, information that the union had and I, that's all I wanted to know. That's it. Yeah. He's mentioned more days off in passing, right? Um, and we have been pressing for, you know, reserve ads uh, in different forms and variations for you know, four or five years. Um, they've been very resistant to reserve ads. And um, the last discussion that I had with Greg on reserve ads was captain seat only. I do that in the captain seat only verbatim, um, which what he's trying to do there is create a bigger disparity between the left and the right seat. Um, additionally, what what's being done here, right, is to spin um, the fix for upgrades into two days off for reserves, right? So I uh, I'm just going to say I have I have never had anybody come to me and say, man, if I just had two more days off on reserve, I'd upgrade in a heartbeat. Right. What everyone says to me is my five and six day trips are a problem. And what is happening there is a desire to move the pilot group into a position to take less than what they should get out of long trips. Right. It, it's creating an expectation and a conversation and, you know, look over here at the shiny thing in the corner and ignore that long trip solution over here. Right. Um, we'll give you two more days off for reserves, but we're not willing to bargain about 12 day trips being sorted out in PBS and forced on to people. Uh, okay. Very myopic, very. Um, uh, it's uh, the other thing that's going on there is. Uh, I call it going down uh, different alleyways to see if the door is locked, right? Um, and I've seen every management team I've ever dealt with do this. They they always want to deal in small tweaks, right? So rather than actually dealing with the problem at hand uh, and you know doing something that's going to move the needle on reserves, it's what small tweak can I make without raising the pay rates, right? Um, which is to say well, let's just look at what's been tried, right? They tried to pull a bunch of levers already. 
which they were told weren't wasn't going to materially move the needle. So they pull a lever and then they wait six months, right? So uh, reduce the minimums to zero, right? Well, we'll get a bunch of captains if we could just have no minimums. Those pesky minimums are in the way. And, you know, that contract that requires people to be here for a year and become experienced before they go fly this airplane in the left seat. Let's pull that lever, see what happens there, right? Well, nothing's going to happen because you don't have anybody and there's no, the math shows that you only have about five or six upgrades that you could possibly net from that. Um, and that's exactly what they got out of that. And it took us, you know, eight months to prove it true. And here we sit way behind the ball while the industry moves ahead instead of just, you know, doing something that's mutually beneficial and uh, anything that's mutually beneficial is seen as a incremental gain for the pilot group, right? Uh, so to say that, you know, increasing the days off on reserve for, uh, you know, captains, but I guess we got to do the FOs too, because, you know, otherwise some people are going to be upset. Somebody talks some sense into them on that one, but it isn't going to move the needle one bit on, on captain upgrades. And it, I mean, the vast majority of the people here who are bypassing upgrade could easily hold a line. It's just that the line that they're going to bid into um, is going to be five and six day trips, right? Which is not tenable, can't do it. And that is lost here, right? Um, the company could fix its problems if it was in tune enough with pilots, but there's no pilots in the C-suite and they don't listen to the chief pilot's office. And they don't listen to us. So they just make up things in isolation like this, which does nothing. Uh, sorry, Scott, this isn't really addressed at you. I'm just, just it's super irritating. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not trying to ruffle your feathers or the union. I'm just passing information along and I'm just trying to paint the picture. I'm not trying to have mom said this, dad said that, you know, I'm just, I was at the town hall meeting because I'm genuinely interested and curious about the future of the company, what their problems are, what they're planning to do about it. And that was just casually mentioned to me. And so I was like, hmm interesting and i just wanted to casually mention it to you and maybe fill in the the full story with what's going on that is it that's the only reason i yeah. asked yeah yeah and and i appreciate it it's just um well uh, going on you know 18 months of just straight up abuse of the relationship right uh to suddenly turning a hard left where um, they're being told to fix the relationship, right? Which by all means, you should fix the relationship and start to do uh, interest-based bargaining where everybody sees gains and something positive starts to happen, right? What we see here is someone who's trying to do positional bargaining again and do one small incremental gain, right? If I just pull this tiny lever over here and give two days off, you know, because I'm, I'm already not using that productivity anyway, so I can give that away for free and, and I won't see that as much of a gain. That's that's kind of what the perspective is there that, that Greg is espousing. And it's problematic, right, because it isn't going to fix the upgrade problem. Um, it, you know, does it net two? Does it net five? Probably not even that much, right? Um, there just there needs to be a comprehensive package of, uh, you know, the kinds of things that are actually going to materially move the needle on captain upgrades or it isn't worth pursuing 
right? Oh, happy, happy to give you an extra two days off. Sure, sign an LOA, let's do it. But it isn't going to move the needle and someone needs to be paying attention to, uh, you know, real fixes so that we can get to success. And um, it, it's just an annoying spin. Yeah, anyways. Okay, sorry. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's your heart rate. No, no, it, it's just, I appreciate it, it. It definitely strikes a vein in recent <laughs> conversation. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, all right. Anyone else? Uh, questions, comments, um, particularly stuff related to. Uh, yeah, Bill, go ahead. Hey, Eric. Um, since we're on the topic of scheduling and all this stuff, I, I guess my question is, and based on the upgrade stuff, it seems that the, you know, they continue to ask the same question every time they host a captain luncheon and. They don't seem to listen, but my my main question is this: um, What is it to protect us as a pilot group from the company? So, take August for example. Twenty two percent of the pilots that held a line had zero ability to bid for anything other than four days off. So we had it was somewhere in the ballpark of thirty two to thirty five relief lines. And by definition, the company could create 195 relief lines and one regular line, and nobody would have any ability to build a schedule or have a schedule or anything like that. So I guess I'm wondering how, how we're working with trying to protect the seniority of the pilots that could potentially upgrade, but look at the situation of, well, why would I upgrade when my line would be 15 days off and credit 85 hours, but yet the 37 relief lines are getting 17, 18 days off and still crediting 80 hours and then take that risk of potentially getting those six day trips. I guess that's question number one. The second one is, is there any point in time where we look at separating passenger and cargo. It, it seems very simplistic to simply have all of the cargo trips be five or six days and all the passenger flying everything else separate from that because the cargo flying is known well in advance. We, we could pre-bid all of that instead of having to hassle through that stuff. So I, I'm curious if or why that possibility is not being explored. Yeah, I'll answer the second question first. So um, we are open to discussing good ideas, right? And if splitting the two um, operations into different bidding pools turns out to have advantage, um, you know, both to the pilot and to you know, the company's competitive advantage with other people who are bidding for uh, Amazon flying and we're, you know, willing to entertain all of that. Um, it's just a matter of having the other side come to the table and actually discuss, right? Um, because that's how you do this properly is you sit down at the table and you both say what you want. Uh, and then as a result, you add value to the company and give the company competitive advantage. It's how it's done uh, and it's works great. Other properties who are doing interest-based bargaining are moving the ball forward and finding that competitive advantage, right? 
Um, here, uh, that isn't happening. Uh, it used to happen, right? Uh, we used to do interspace bargaining, and that's how how we worked for several years with OC. And then the last 18 months has been a hard left turn into distributive bargaining and a very, very aggressive labor policy, which hasn't yielded positive results or productivity or moving forward. And uh, so no one's sitting down at the table and discussing, you know, if we do this, maybe this would help this problem over here. Um, kind of getting into your first question, uh, the number of relief lines is um, inappropriate, right? I think bordering on reckless. I think it is choices made um, without having an actual full understanding of the impact that having that number of relief lines actually has. Uh, I, and as, as simple as this, I don't know that the company understands that when you build a relief line with like, you know, one day of work on it and all the, you know, you do like a, like a day turn on that relief line for seven hours worth of credit that all of the rest of the reserve days and the credit over the value of the reserve day pays that premium pay. Um, Will and I had that discussion in a room with Jude and Greg and uh, Eric Levenhagen, you know, two quarters ago, about 180 days ago or so. And I can tell you that the person who was in charge of labor policy had no idea that that premium pay is paid that way. No clue, you can see it on his face. Um, it's reckless because we're a company that needs to grow and we have, you know, 40 lines with a mixed number of very small amounts of credit on it. We should be, you know, bidding those lines out and, uh, flying more, right? Our utilization numbers continue to go down. Uh, and go down dramatically. And the fix for that is uh, back in the uh, in the relief lines. That was what the long trips were about, was to parse off and experiment with the notion that, you know, we were going to do cargo only flying and passenger only flying, right? That's why part of why the long trips are cargo only. Uh, and those we're supposed to offset the number of relief lines. If you go back to July a year ago, uh, there were like 46 or 48 relief lines. Some of them, many of them crediting as low as seven hours, um, which obviously you could have, you know, built lines out with that and utilized airplanes. We see the same sort of action again. Um, it's foolhardy and uh, a complete disappointment when this company needs to grow for the success of all of us, that we have nearly a third of our pilot productivity sitting on relief lines. Uh, it, it is a misunderstanding in how lines are built and where the productivity is and how this company runs. Further, in the only reason that I can see to concentrate that many relief lines would be to keep a consistent low 90s credit on all of the regular lines, um, which is to say, um, to trump up the notion 
of our average credit, bring the PBS argument into an arbitration and go, look, all of our lines are you know, 93 hours of credit. Any more onerous rules arbitrator would cause us to uh, lose money because we're going to lose this, you know, productivity that we don't have and, our, and it would cause uh, our pilots to work less and we need to work 90, 93 hours every month under our, our business plan, right? Because woe is us, we choose inefficient flying, which means that we only get about 60 hours of revenue generating block onto every pilot who's awarded 90 hours of credit. 30 hours is penalty. Right. Look, arbitrator, we need to be able to get at least 60, if not more, uh, onto these pilots. Never mind that it's the choice to fly inefficient flying as part of the business model choice. Right. And if you were flying productive passenger flying, um, uh, you'd get to, you know, 82, 83 hours of credit. Right. Um, so. Without a guarantee offset for the long trips, right? If we build and award 12 long trips, that that means that you're going to build and award 12 less relief lines. Um, the pilot group suffers as a result of those long trips, uh, by the way, of additional inefficiency coupled with uh, the inefficiency of all of the relief lines. Will did some back of the napkin math on this. It's something like $500 million in lost revenue. It is ridiculous someone should lose their job over that and I, i'm i'm saying that loud and clear yeah no i i understand it i like i said i guess just having many conversations with a lot of guys that are capable of upgrade um you know the the obvious is already there and you guys are well aware of what people are willing to do and not willing to do as far as the upgrade goes. But I, I guess um, on a side note to that, uh, there's some training stuff. Um, if, you, if you've got other questions, great. Otherwise, can you talk a little bit about the status of the training department in terms of do we see any end in sight for the issues? Um, and, and this is coming from having people who I know going through training currently and I, I would not recommend anybody come here right now with the status of our training department and what's happening to them with the misscheduling and when a, when they forget to schedule an instructor so the penalty is you now sit for another 13 days until your next sim and I mean I, I just flew with someone that was hired in in february and they completed their ioe in june or july so I, I just was curious if you had any updates on any of where that's going yeah and it's it's not just the completion time right i mean there's really really significant systemic problems in that training department um we you know really have been talking about this for more than three years, right? Uh, because it, it, the initial problem was, hey, you know, AQP really isn't AQP here, and it, it isn't functioning as AQP. You're not getting the data-driven solutions out of a full, you know, SMS system that's supposed to be drawing out of ASAP and FOQA, right? I mean, okay, so 
there's ASAP reports come in, and then we create some of our training scenarios out of ASAP, but at their heart, there's still a CNO program, um, a checking program, right? And the person who's building those scenarios has a lifetime in the CNO world, a retired Sun Country pilot, right? And approaches those scenarios from a lifetime of CNO PC truck rides. What's missing is Folkwood data, right? Which could drive uh, the the anomalies, right? The things that the data says are dangerous. Um, you wanna go and train those out of your pilot group. There is no bridge from Folkwood uh to um the training scenarios right so the training scenarios are packed tight for you know four hours of training to maximize the time in the sim time in the sim is dictated to make us more uh, uh successful and a better safer pilot group right even if we never ever touch any of the actual statistic anomalies that make us unsafe which is foolhardy right so we were talking about that three years ago. We were talking about Jesse as just simply not being qualified to run that training department. Since then, we've grown, uh, you know, to 660 pilots from 230, and we've done nothing to fix that. The thing is broken at its foundation, and now, right, and its foundation being AQP and the AFOTM that existed three years ago and the support that it got from its management team now is absolutely stressed to no end, right? Uh, back in November or so of 21, uh, the company sent in, you know, productivity people to take a look at that training department. Um, you know, so the math and graphs people show up and they go, you know what, we'll double the productivity of this training department from 12 to 24 if we cut the training footprint in half. Just cut the cut the productivity in half and then divvy it up amongst 24 instead of 12 and you'll double your, double the amount of throughput, right? And along with that, make sure that you use the SIM 24-7. Somebody said, wait, 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 and I think Jesse, to his credit, Backside of the clock isn't very useful. We're not going to actually get good training out of that. People are going to suffer for it. So they stayed away from, you know, that dark corner. But, you know, pack the sim tight so when a guy gets off schedule, um, fails to progress, they have nowhere to put that person, right? So uh, you don't progress on lesson two. You might not see a sim for six or eight weeks until something opens up, right? Um, you can't run a training department that way. You know, Matt comes in uh, to a, a situation that he's, you know, no one wants to inherit a downside, right, uh, as a manager. Like, come in and be super challenged by, you know, uh, a tar pit and quicksand. Like, that's just kind of impossible. Um He doesn't have the airline experience to lean back on. He can speak the language of a trading department. Um, you know, one of the larger complaints levied there is a lack of understanding of the A photo. I've seen it twice in the last two weeks myself, right? Uh, just simple things, right? That uh, that rolly training board that goes around with like, you know, all of the uh, training aids on it, right? Um, that's required by the A photo. It's it is a required piece of training equipment 
um, and literally had nothing on it, nothing on the pegboard, not a thing, right? Um, uh, clearly, the FAA is not going to be happy when they walk past that training aid and it's, you know, destroyed. There's nothing there. There is no training aid. Um, likewise, non-seniority list instructors are supposed to see two observations in the aircraft um, under the AFOTM. Um, it, uh, we've asked for the records and asked for a cease and desist, uh, to, uh, the use of non-seniority list instructors, because we don't believe that they've had even the two that are required by the AFOTM, never mind, no one, not a single one of them has had the check rides, the observations required by the contract, which is four, right? Not a one of them. Uh, widespread non-seniority list instructor non-compliance uh, and truly that's where the uh, falsification of documents issue uh, emerged, right, is in the non-seniority list instructors who were signing off training that wasn't conducted, right? Um, I mean, that's <laughs> – what do you do when you just were simply never taught the wind shear lesson when, you know, two years from now you're, you're getting a wind shear warning and you don't go around? Right. No, no differentiation between wind shear caution and wind shear warning because you were never trained on it. You were signed off on it, but you never actually saw it and you don't know what to do. Right. And that that puts more stress on the experienced pilots. Right. It's difficult for our experienced pilots to adjust to uh, the added risk of the person next to them who now doesn't have standardized training and you don't know where the holes are. So is that guy going to pull through in that situation that everyone else was trained for? Hard to know, right? Is the intuition right? Because you're certainly not going to have your training to rely on to lean back on, right? Um, it's difficult for the new hire pilots who are, you know, showing up at their, you know, nine month MVLOE, right? Uh, to, um, to do things they were maybe not trained on, right? Uh, there's more hesitation in this pilot group to pursue an upgrade. I mean, I, I heard it in, in your comments right there, Bill, right? I mean, uh, I wouldn't recommend anybody to come here, you say, right? Like, I mean, you can't in good conscience put somebody into a meat grinder. Um, recommend your friends to come here, you know, to hey, take a risk on your career, right? And I, I mean, the simple message there is is look out for yourself. Don't risk your career, right? And this is the chronic fatigue of schedules who that have been, um, you know, forced to be as bad as possible with, you know, widespread five and six day trips uh, and people who don't want to be working that, that length of trip, right? Um, I hear about the marital stress. I hear about the, you know, the things at home left incomplete for years on end now. Um, the missed personal events, the birthdays, the barbecues, right? Um, that people don't get to go to because they're on five and six day trips. Management talks to me on the other side of that about the amount of sick calls that happen on five and six day trips, right? Well, you want to fix them? Bid them out through a pre-bid where people who want them are, are flying them, right? Um, the training standardization is uh, is unacceptable. The FAA investigations are unacceptable. Um, you know, it starts with the falsification of documents and people not being trained for things that they're expected to know. And then it moves into, you know, expiry dates for line check pilots, right, who have been training people and uh, are expired themselves. Um, 
you know, uh, standardization of the instructors and the lack of compliance with the A Photomoto director of training, right? And Cancun ramp checks, right? Mexico doesn't think we're all that safe. So um, just work as safely as you can, slow down and be safe and widen your circle of resources, right? Um, everyone's gotta, gotta be a good captain and uh, be careful and watch out for yourself, right? Uh, unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of people watching out for themselves by voting with their feet and going elsewhere. And we really can't sustain that, right? I mean, we're running by the company's own numbers, 60% attrition on new hires, right? Um, never mind the people who won't upgrade. You're not keeping people here to grow into upgrades. So our upgrade problem is, I mean, a solid year from being fixed at this point. Um, we got to bring some people in here and get them trained uh, and around this operation for long enough to participate in the bid and have the actual experience to upgrade. They're not going to upgrade into five and six day trips, right? So you got to fix that. Um, yeah. Yeah, training problems, right? Uh, LOA 2302, right? So that was, um, you know, two weeks ago. I did Tuesdays at two on that LOA. That LOA is the company's plan to recover productivity in the training department. They haven't implemented what they asked for. They simply haven't implemented their own plan. So you still see people, you know, waiting for training, not getting sequenced in OE the way that it is uh, contemplated by their own prioritization, uh, which is really unfortunate because, I mean, they came to us and said, we have a plan to get out of uh the long training footprints that we're suffering. And we said, great, tell us about your plan. Yep, sounds like a good idea, Matt. Let's do that. And then zero, nothing. I, I don't think any part of that letter has been complied with or implemented, and that goes back to March. Right? Um, meanwhile, right, we, we signed the letter after that was the Section 18 settlement, um, which was really important to the company to go back and pay the override back to January to maintain credibility with the training pilots, right? And some of the things that were in that letter, the company said, hey, we can't implement these until, um, I forget if it was August 1st, right? So the implementation date of that letter changed and some language regarding the override went from January 1st to say end of June. So July, maybe it's June and July, ended up with a gap as a twist in the language for the override for the training pilots. And rather than just saying, yeah, we're gonna do the right thing and pay that, we understand that it's a, you know, a twist in the language. Um, the company hasn't responded and we're gonna have to send the whole thing back to Gil Vernon to make a decision on. Yet, now the company's talking about relationship. You got to start fixing the relationship by actions first, right? Um, yeah, sorry, Bill. Um, anything else, Bill, that you, you wanted to talk about? No, no, I, I appreciate it. I just, it's just frustrating flying with a lot of people right now, listening to a lot of the stories and trying to maintain a positive atmosphere to keep people here. Yeah, right. I, I mean, people are going to leave because of the labor policy. All of this comes down to the labor policy, right? You can fix all of this stuff, but you have to like actually talk 
to both sides. Both sides need to be together working on the solution, right? And that ended January 1st of 22. I mean, we were told point blank, we are going to do the black and white of what's in this contract and nothing more. And they have done absolutely nothing more. Very aggressive, definitely not looking for solution. The relationship has deteriorated dramatically, right? And I'm not sure that there's anybody on the other side that knows how to do interest-based bargaining, who can really sit down and say, what do you want? I want these things. And then bargain towards what you can do and add value. And while every other airline out there is adding value, you know, United is, Delta is, Alaska, right? Who has, you know, pretty pretty aggressive labor policy at the same time has managed to put a contract together that adds value for both sides. And they're, they're both going to, you know, Move along, move along with their competitive advantage and outstrip us. Meanwhile, you know, someone's worried about winning here. It isn't about winning at all. It's about success. And uh, this company needs to, um, you know, work hard, uh, experiment with new ideas, uh, be innovative, create uh, competitive advantage, and go out there and grow. Uh, in that, you know, we're not the one stopping that. It's it's a decision about labor policy and how labor policy is put together. All right. Understood. Thank you. Yep. Uh, Ross, I see, uh, see you got your hand up. You're next in line. You have the floor. You're muted, Ross, if you're talking. Can you hear me? I got you now. Hey. Hey. Yeah. Boy, I don't know where to start here, but I'm I'm not complaining or anything, but I on the top side of the seniority lift, we're we're seeing a lot of deterioration. Um <clears throat> So, what I'm finding is my pay sheets are labor intensive. I'm taking screenshots, I'm emailing, they're shorting me it's, it's always wrong. So I'm probably correcting them three, four times a month. Um, so with that yeah. said, uh, at the beginning of the month, I just want to let the guys know, guys and gals know that I picked up a trip on the fourth was scheduled for the fifth. They put two captains on it. And then I'm finding myself trying to prove that I'm TRP'd for the trip. So I, I just I just find that so bizarre why <clears throat> the pilot has to uh, prove that, you know, to prove that that they're wrong and you need to follow the contract. So I just yeah. I just want to throw that. But every it, time I pick up a trip, I take screenshots. I look at OFI. I take screenshots to make sure everything is correct. Yeah, I find that's mistake. right. And that's exactly what you I, need to do. Screenshot and the line pilot, everything. But Eric, this pilot group should not have to do that. Oh, I am, you have a sympathetic ear here. I'm not, I is, I understand nobody should have to do that, Ross. No one should have to do that. The culture of compliance should be there and the desire to be a good employer should be there, right? Um, instead, this, uh, there's something totally different going on here. 
yeah, this is like a throwback to 30 years ago. That's right. This is just mid 80s. Horrible. Yeah. Mid 80s mom and pop turbo prop labor policy. Right. And OK, I mean, that that's the kind of thing that happens, you know, when you and I got into this industry and it was extremely aggressive and there was way more pilots than there was, you know, jobs for those pilots. And, you know, getting a job at an airline was incredibly difficult, you know, six, eight thousand hours before you could get an interview somewhere. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, I, we took a turn when OC left. Oh, did we? we? Yes, we OC. did. And I, I don't understand why the company isn't doing something about getting um, getting somebody in here to take care of the pilot group. Yeah. Anyways, well, look, that's I mean, all I OC, want to say to I'll, I'll OC was, yeah, I, I just, you know, you need to... Um, I need to address there what happened with OC leaving, right? Uh, OC was quite capable, as is Andy Papaleo, of doing interest-based bargaining. Um, you know, OC had a lifetime of work inside of ALPA, both as an MEC chair and a negotiator for, uh, you know, the negotiating chair for, for Northwest Airlines. And, you know, good solid 12 years of work there uh, that informed how he negotiated. He was, um, I would say, you know, pretty aggressive with uh, the things that management should have and want and need and was, you know, good at um, making the case for those things. Right. Uh, which isn't to say that he wasn't a friend of the pilot group. He was a friend of the pilot group. Um, but this management team sees OC and OC's work as full capitulation to the pilots and uh, that he was way too pilot friendly and that they you know, should have had a much more aggressive stance with their pilot group. And they are exercising that right now. And you are seeing the labor policy that is the result of, you know, heavy duty distributive bargaining where there's winners and losers. And OC had been around it long enough to know that there are no winners or losers. There's just success and failure. And if both sides are expressing their interests, they're going to get what they want and they're going to create new value and competitive advantage. That That's why Delta wins. As simple as that. They do interest-based bargaining. Um, they've, they've built that airline off of interest-based bargaining. Go read their rules of the road. It's about listening and making sure that you follow through on your, uh, commitments, right? Um, what that was, read the, seriously, go, they have a little pamphlet, go get their pamphlet and read their pamphlet because their pamphlet is a way to say, leave behind the Northwest culture because the Northwest culture was toxic and it was based on distributive bargaining and bad labor policy. And we need to rid ourselves of that or we're going to go under. And here we are fully engaged in those bad ideas. This company is gonna to continue to fall behind so long as the labor policy is you know, one of distributive bargaining. We will not gain value. You can have the best business plan and the best fundamentals, and it plays out exactly the way this place is playing out. And also, you 
should have pay transparency, Ross. Everyone deserves pay transparency, and it is driving attrition. People are leaving because it is morally and ethically wrong uh, to get paid the way that we get paid. Yeah, one more thing. Um, if you think about it, over the past 32 years, uh, they probably overpaid me once or twice, and they've contact me and I had to repay it or somehow, but they're underpaying me three or four times a month. That's wrong. Yep. So you, you multiply times to the flight attendant. They're doing the same thing to the flight attendants. It's, it's not right. You need to pay your employees. Yep. And you need that to serve. exactly right. So and any other thing is in business, when you make a deal, the deal's a deal. And we made a deal with them. They're not honoring it. Yeah, and I think this right. group understand this. And you need to follow contract. And you need to stand together. Yep, that's right. Solidarity is what makes it through this. That's for sure. Took many years to get to where we're at today. It's being eroded right yep. now. Yep, that is right. Um, All right. Thanks would, a lot, Eric. I would add to this pay conversation, right? So ELP is coming along. Um, it struggled to, uh, as a pay system, to talk to Ames properly. That programming problem has been circumnavigated. They figured it out. Uh, they're moving closer and closer to, um, in, you know, uh, implementing ELP as a as a payroll solution. Uh, we've been asked to participate in that. But when we ask for the funding to participate, we're told that they can't do that. And um, I just wanna be well on record, well before this thing gets rolled out to the pilot group to say that lack of um, funding that transparency is the same as not being transparent itself. And what you are going to see is People are going to say, well, ALPA was included in that, and so we have ALPA buy-in on, uh, on ELP. And it isn't being funded. It's being uh, reduced down to, um, you know, using Kitch, who is, you know, great with payroll problems, but is fully tasked with building schedules and his work um, in, in scheduling. And they're trying to piggyback on that and say, oh, you know, the little bits of time during the day where you, you know, have 30 minutes here, come to these payroll programs. Uh, it, it isn't clear. It, you know, there's 140 payroll uh, examples that um, that ELP identified that they need to make consistent with the contract. And without the funding to do that, we don't have anybody who's watching it uh, as fully and clearly as they should and mark my words when they roll that out and it fails they're going to say that alpa signed off on it and alpa participated in the programming and we didn't not funding the transparency is the same thing as not being transparent all right uh john andrews hey can you hear me okay yeah i got you okay uh about a year ago, we were hearing that somebody was working towards putting our contract into one document. Is yes. there any progress on that? Are we going to? There is, and it is done, and we're trying to figure out how to print. Um, okay. 
Yep, but there is a, a final agreed to document that just just finalized uh, with the company as to like what the addendums were going to be and which LOAs are included and and that kind of stuff. Uh, just in the last week to two weeks, and uh, we should be able to get a digital copy up pretty quickly. Um, and just working on the the agreement as to what we're, what we're going to print, right? Is it going to be, you know, spiral bound or in a three ring binder? Uh, are we going to, you know, have a page in there for change logs and stuff like that? But the actual final integrated contract, that part is done. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's good to hear. Thanks. It is good to hear, uh, and it really will make a difference. Uh, everyone, you know, is going to work off of a digital copy because that's that's how we work on these things these days, right? So you can find and search and filter and all that stuff. So, um, you know, I, I fully expect that most people will be navigating towards the digital side of things. And uh, let me see what I can do about just getting a sign off, you know, from legal to publish the digital contract at this point. I think we're there. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah you bet. All right. Anyone else? Uh, questions, comments, concerns? Things we should know about? All right. Um, I see we're kind of we're getting close to the two hour mark on this thing, and uh, that's probably a, a little bit more a uh, little more all pilot call like than a Tuesdays at two, right? But um, uh, good conversation, right? This is the stuff that uh, that we need to talk about because we're in a difficult corner. Right. Um, yeah, with that, no uh, next week, uh, Katie is going to talk about um, PBS bidding parameters. Uh, really, there's there's a ton of parameters and the sooner you start to tune into those parameters, the better. Uh, and then two weeks from now, I'm going to cover long trips and uh, I'm I'm just going to lay out where we're going negotiating wise. Uh, be as transparent as possible and let the company know where we're going uh, as well, right? Uh, I'll I'll do my part of the interest-based bargaining uh, and and tell people where we're, where we want to be. Uh, Scott, I see you raised your hand again. Uh, anything you want to add? Just just a real quick question about the training center. Have you heard anything about it? Still looks the same. I kind of heard grumblings that they were considering going back to CAE and not using AFG. I just wanted to know if you had any insight on the future of the training center facility. That's it. No, that's new to me if they're struggling um, with Avenger as a vendor. Um, I've heard nothing about going back to CAE, uh, only moving forward with uh, the Avenger solution. Um, and most of those conversations, they seem pretty proud about, you know, the success of implementing Avengers. Um, they need the throughput, realistically, of three sims. Um, you know, the kind of strife and the things that we're talking about are um, all impediments to growth, right? But we should be through 800 pilots already, right? Um, and somebody's going to start wondering where that growth plan is. And I, I imagine, you know, jobs are on the line if the growth plan doesn't start to become a reality. Uh, there is tons of revenue being left on the table. Uh, clearly, we're not utilizing even the airplanes that we have uh, as much as we should be. Uh, and then, you know, beyond that is delivery of more airplanes, right? Right. 
Um, you add those five nine hundreds and a couple other stragglers, and I think we're supposed to get you know many as seven airplanes or something in the fairly near future, like in the next year. Um, that's going to bring our utilization down to, gosh, you know, five hours a day, unless we find the pilots. So um, they really do need three sims uh, to execute their growth plan. Uh, you don't need any of those sims if you keep running the training department the way that it's being ran, um, and probably even less of them if you start forcing longer trips onto pilots. Uh, without their desire for those trips, right? So um, time for, you know, both sides to be bargaining and trying to get to competitive advantage before we get outstripped by, you know, Delta United American. Um, and what what's going to happen, right, is a, a pilot group has been fairly blissed out on pay, or at least okay with suffering some of the downsides is going to flip very rapidly, right? And we're feeling that and seeing that uh, as we fall behind on pay, uh, which is, you know, part of that, part of pattern bargaining. We know we're going to fall behind um, and then use the other companies to climb up. But that pay disparity is going to be larger than it was in December of 21, along with a labor policy that is nowhere near solving problems, right? Uh, so that tone and tenor needs to change and change quickly so that we can get to the point where um, both sides can get together and start doing problem solving. And the problem solving comes from relationship. Someone's told people to start talking about relationship because everyone in the company side is talking about relationship. But how do you have relationship when you beat the crap out of people on their pay and, you you know, you can't provide a basic uh, training program that was provided, you know, 20, 30 years ago uh, at turboprop operators. You can't even do as good as that stuff. And you have more grievances than Mesa. And, um, uh, you know, you're you're in a labor war by choice. Right. Like who would get in a labor war by choice in 2023? Absolutely wrongheaded. Um, all right. Uh, anything more, Scott? Nope. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate all the hard work. And as uh, Gordon Bethune says, don't lie to your doctor, don't lie to your lawyer and don't lie to your employees. Right. That's right, man. That's exactly right. It's a it's a terrible, terrible choice to lie. It's a especially pilot because uh, if pilots have one skill, it, it is definitely the bullshit. And uh, they can see through it really, really quickly and see the spin and all understand it. Everyone here knows they're being spun when they're hearing it. Um, it is amazing to me that the people, the person doing the spinning doesn't see it, doesn't know it, but every pilot here sees it when it's happening. It, it is not lost on anybody what the spin is. All right. Well, with that, I'm going to go ahead and close up the call. Uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, again, Katie next week with some bidding parameters and PBS. Uh, looking forward to that. And then I'll dig into long trips two weeks from now. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.